There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek, and you've tuned into this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. As always, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us again. Today's guest is Madeline Federley. Madeline is the CEO of Be The Brand, a boutique personal branding firm for the digital age. Before founding Be The Brand, she served as a strategist at several well-known and respected nonprofit organizations, including Vital Voices Global Partnership and Share Our Strength. Madeline is passionate about helping individuals and organizations develop strong leadership, create people-focused work environments, and build purposeful and powerful online brands. She earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in History from Texas Christian University and a Master of Arts degree in International Relations and Affairs at Georgetown Washington University, excuse me, George Washington University. Madeline Federley, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Hi, Chris. So great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for your time. And I know it's, uh, we're talking for the show Halloween and trick or treat, and it's a busy day for all of us with, with little ones. And so I appreciate you taking <laughs> some time for us. Yes, it is. Yes. No, happy to be here. And the good news is I'm always wearing a costume. So I'm, uh, I'm always in character. I know I was scared when I logged on. So, you know, it's good. It's good. It's a good spooky season. I've, I was told I've got a face for radio. <laughs> so Madeline, I mentioned that you worked for two well-known nonprofits. How did your career take you to each of them? And then how did you become immersed in the branding profession to the point that became a career for you? I had a really windy kind of untraditional start to my career. So I grew up in Texas and really had an interest in things outside of Texas. So international affairs, always kind of had a curiosity about other cultures. So that curiosity took me, um, you know, brought me here to D.C. for a master's. And then from there, I really wanted to work in the international space. And I did a number of internships and jobs just starting out in that space. And I found that the pace and the environment around those types of jobs just wasn't really energizing me in the way that I was hoping um, a career would. And so I really kind of stumbled into the nonprofit space. I spent um, about 10 years doing nonprofit fundraising, working with individuals um, who you know, really cared about the work that we were doing, passionate about giving back, and were really using their time, talents, and treasures to help improve the world. And I felt that it was such an honor to be able to walk alongside them, shepherd them, so that they could really contribute in a meaningful way. So I really honestly kind of stumbled into it. and But then once upon arrival, really felt like it was a great space and a place for me. And I was able to really dive in and get my feet wet pretty early on in my career, um, which I think in many ways instilled in me almost a sense of like an entrepreneurial hustle. I was working for small nonprofits that, you know, when, you know, kind of trial by fire, like the work is many. And so there were a lot of really great opportunities to learn new things, be mentored by incredible people in the field. And that really set me on a trajectory to working with people, to having an entrepreneurial spirit. And then, of course, this idea about, you know, giving back and just really helping improve the spaces that we're, we're living in. And fundraising for nonprofits is never easy and doing it for a decade. Hats off to you. That's, uh, 
365. Totally, totally. And it set me up well for client services. You know, what we do at Be The Brand now is is very much about walking alongside the individual and at the, at its core, it's client services. And so I think though donor services is different in many ways, there are a lot of similarities. And so it, I think helped set me up for success when it came time to launch a client serving business. I want to go back to what you mentioned a moment ago about being from Texas. This could be the most important question of the day. <laughs> My listeners and viewers, I'm a diehard, diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. Do you have a team? Well, TCU is my team. So the Horn Frogs. So okay. I grew up, we I grew up in West Texas. And so high school football and college football is the name of the game. So yes, I mean, as a 90s kids, obviously the Dallas Cowboys for sure. And but really loyalties today are much more focused on college football, which I think is also very on brand for a Texan, I will say. No, absolutely. Especially TCU. No question of that. All right. So thank you. We'll let you stay then. We're sticking with Texas. So Madeline, why is digital branding important these days? You know, can a person or business just be traditional, ordinary success and not have any online presence? When you think about your toolkit or your ecosystem of support that is really needed, whether you're an individual or really a brand or a company, having a digital presence and bringing intention and strategy to your online presence is a really critical piece to that puzzle or to that ecosystem. It's critical now, and we see this especially coming out of the pandemic, to have a robust and interesting, engaging, and authentic digital presence. So we really say um, for brands and for individuals that the, the litmus test is if you're not done kind of leveling up, if you still have things you want to do, um, opportunities you're looking for, missions, causes, organizations you care about and want to amplify. Basically, if you're not done leveling up, you need a digital presence. And bringing intention and thoughtfulness to it is really critical to helping you get to wherever you are trying to get when you invest in that digital footprint. And whenever there's a business meeting about a social media post, there's always one person in the group who says, let's blow this up big and go viral with this thing. How difficult is it to go viral? And is it the social media equivalent of winning the lottery? I, I think 100%, yes. And I think that it's also just like such, in my mind, going viral is such a narrow view of the benefit of social media, and in particular in LinkedIn. There there are very few kind of like viral opportunities on LinkedIn because what you're doing is you're talking about professional credibility. You're trying to build that professional presence. And so when we work with people, we actually say at the top, like we are not trying to turn somebody into an influencer. We are not trying to go viral on LinkedIn or on Instagram or TikTok. Um, but what we are trying to do is harness the influence that you have and make sure that that influence is showing up in the digital space. So it's really less about winning the lottery and more about slowly and steadily building that credibility. Um, and really telling that professional story because we all have influence and making sure that it's showing up online in the right way is the right way to approach it instead of just trying to maybe one time go viral. So let's say we're fortunate enough to go viral once. How likely is it that we can do it again? And how do we go viral more than once? Well, I think that the way that 
you can go viral is by really leveraging and harnessing the data behind your social media. So the great thing about social is we can measure everything, right? So we know who's looking at it. We know who those people are. We know how often they're engaging with it. And over time, you can really measure uh, what your audience wants and carve out a little niche for yourself within the corner of LinkedIn or Instagram, et cetera. And so I really think that it's almost like just know your audience, really dig in, understand them. Um, if if the goal is to go viral, it's really about serving the needs of your audience. What we do is really about serving the needs of the professional. So we're really working to make sure that their brand and their professional brand is out there. And we recognize that because it's really about them that it might not necessarily, you know, go viral with their audience. Um, but we find that this is the most important, you know, in the really important kind of work because they're wanting to invest in that professional cred- credibility and how it shows up online. There's a lot to it that goes on behind the scenes that we just yeah, have no totally. clue from the analytics and to your point, going viral and what takes or what doesn't take and what messages are and how short the messages or how long as we know that during COVID, our attention span went from, I don't know, three minutes to 62 seconds or something like that. So totally, you know, and I think the types of multimedia that you use, obviously, like at the end of the day, social media is social media. And so people like to see video. They like to see, you know, using um, audio that's trending, using, you know, high quality visuals, all that kind of stuff. So when you're thinking about like, if the goal is to really reach as many people as possible, and in that sense, chart towards going viral, you have to really think about all those different pieces of the puzzle. And how can we repair a damaged social media reputation? You know, it seems like people who get into trouble usually just shut down all their accounts and try to vanish. You know, is that really mm-hmm. the best approach? Well, I definitely think it depends on the circumstance. And, you know, what what I would say is that, you know, the best thing to do if you find yourself in a sticky situation or if you are really unsure is to talk, you know, is to talk to crisis comms people. Like there are a lot of smart people out there who give really good advice and who are going to know better than you probably how to handle a situation. And when you talk to the crisis comms people, they're probably going to come at it from a multi-pronged approach. And you should really make sure that your social media is part of the approach, right? If it's a press release, if it's a statement on your website, if it's an email to your listserv, but then also if it's about your social media, I don't think people just shutting down and going dark is necessarily the, the best approach, but there could be situations where that is the best approach. And you would just really want to make sure that you have a smart and savvy crisis comms person kind of helping you figure that out. So let's say you're a business owner and one of your employees posts or tweets something, obviously, unfortunately, very offensive. Now they have free speech rights and it's our reputation that takes the hit and the people likely start attacking and boycotting our business. Is it fair, right, and responsible as a business owner for us to fire the employee or should we do something else? So what, what we recommend when thinking about employees and all of that is, well, one, when your employee, you know, signs a contract with you, I'm a, like, part of that is an employee code of conduct, right? And so you have to measure their actions on social compared to, like, are they abiding by the employee code of conduct? So that would be the first kind of question. But what we really do is we advise companies and senior leadership teams to actually really embrace social media, particularly LinkedIn, 
You want your employees and your people to be online. It's good for you. It's good for your company brand. It's good for them. So it can be a really holistic approach to trying to invest in them as professionals, establish their professional credibility, while also amplifying the messages that are going to be good for your organization. And when you do that, when you embrace LinkedIn or social media, you know, really wrap your arms around it, you have the opportunity to really put forth guidelines. And then you can also measure employees' um, social media based off of the guidelines that you're putting forth to them. And so in a sense, you're not really, what, what we say is to really not consider it like policing of your people, but really just to be encouraging them to post on LinkedIn, to offering guidelines, to offering tips, to offering guidance, offering up your communications people for questions or office hours or workshopping, you know, really create a supportive environment where people do feel like they can flourish online. We even tell senior leadership team people to encourage their staff to post on LinkedIn during business hours. Like if you walk by somebody's desk and they're on LinkedIn, embrace that as a good thing, not as like, oh, they're distracted, you know, but then again, put guidelines around it and then check in with people, see how they're doing with those guidelines, see how it's showing up online. Um, so in that sense, you're really almost embracing social and the good that it can bring to your employees and to your companies. Now, you, you touched on LinkedIn several times there, and I'm amazed what that's grown into. You know, I used to just think of it as sort of Facebook for businesses where they would just post, you know, their research report or something. And to your point, now we're posting something like, hey, had a great time at conference with clients. And we talked about X, Y, and Z and the future generation of insert product here. And so uh, love your thinking and, and the, the way you're pushing with that. And along that line, young people post dumb things, unfortunately. And we've seen people lose their jobs or be attacked by the virtual universe mob over something they did as a child. What rules do you have for young professionals, maybe before they start to look for a job, and how should they handle a situation where they've called out for something stupid, say it's racially or, or socially offensive, when they were in their teens? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky, you know, and I think, like, again, every every situation is going to be different. What we say and what I really encourage people, especially professionals, is social media is a great exercise in emotional intelligence. So if you have, I mean, and we all, you know, have the internal gut check and the internal voice. And so I would caution and say, like, if you are concerned about a boss or a supervisor, you know, or somebody you admire seeing your thing, like don't post it or ask a trusted colleague, peer advisor, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, in kind of the, the executive leadership space, we think a lot about our like personal board of directors, like who are those people who come alongside us to help us navigate tricky situations in life and in career, have one of those people be like a comms person, you know, or somebody who's just savvy on digital and that you can ask like, hey, you know, this thing has happened and I, you know, how do either one, how do I handle it? Or two, should I even post this in the first place? You know, and I think just, recognizing that we all, um, you know, are people. And so we're going to show up in different ways, but taking a moment again, to have that intention and to exercise that emotional intelligence will really pay off in the long run. When you're thinking about social and your social strategy and how you show up online, 
it's a lot like how we need to think about the whole trajectory of our careers. Like is a long road in front of us. We will work for many, many years and we'll be on many different teams and many different offices and many different tables. And so you really do want to take the long view when you're thinking about your social strategy as you would when you're thinking about your career. You know, you know early on, like you you don't, you, you know, you can't make enemies of people because that might hurt you later on down the road. It's the same kind of logic that would apply to how you're thinking about that social strategy. And what about maybe for experienced professionals, you know, who will post things about their industry or uh, their trade, but maybe that they're passionate about a few different specific social issues, whether it be homelessness or uh, human trafficking. Is it acceptable for them to post things that they may have seen other people on LinkedIn post regarding those issues? I think so. You know, I think you want to be cautious. Um you know, if things are are veering towards like the political landscape and, and that kind of issue. And that would be a great opportunity to ask somebody else at your company, ask your, you know, chief communications officer or a trusted advisor or something like that, um, you know, for guidance around the certain topic. But as a general principle, I actually highly encourage professionals to post about the things that they personally care about. We think and we talk to people a lot about being multidimensional. So, you know, there's this, you know, idea about showing up online in an authentic way. And we don't really talk about authenticity because, you know, the reality is, is like for me, I'll use me as an example. Like my most, most authentic self is like online or I'm sorry, at home, you know, on the couch, covered in Cheeto stains with like two small kiddos and like a huge <laughs> mess, you know, like that's where I am in this stage of life right now. And that's not how I'm going to be presenting online as a professional. However, I am a mother. I'm a working mother. I care a lot about parental leave. I care a lot about work-life balance. And so I will talk about those things online because they matter to me. And in that sense, it's part of that multidimensional persona that I'm trying to build through my LinkedIn. So it's the same thing. We're all people. We care a lot about our work, but we also have personal lives that feed into this professional success that we've had. You know, we don't just show up as a successful professional, right? We're we're people. And so how can we Think about those multidimensional things. If the if it's the organizations you volunteer at, the fundraisers you attend, the galas that you participate in, or perhaps you just learned about a nonprofit that you think is amazing. There's all kinds of ways that we can really cultivate who we are as people and shepherd that into the online presence. I love that, and I'm a little jealous that you've got two little ones to give you excuses for your Cheeto stains because it's Cheetos, just putting it yeah. on, just putting it on my shirt. Um, you know, we've been talking about LinkedIn a lot. Are there different rules of engagement for the other different platforms like Twitter or X now, I guess it is, versus LinkedIn versus Facebook, Instagram, TikTok? And how should we use each of them in our professional branding? There there are all different kinds of rules of engagement for each platform, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of it boils down to best practices around frequency of posts lengths of posts, types of posts, um, you know, so a couple, a couple of examples is that when we start working with executives, one of the biggest mistakes we actually see is people starting to exercise Twitter or X muscles over on LinkedIn. And what I mean by that is on Twitter, you can kind of tweet and retweet and post all day, every day, just happy, happy, you know, 
on LinkedIn, it's actually very precious real estate. So we really only want to be posting two times a week on LinkedIn. If you're like an individual, if this is your individual page for a brand or company, it's different, but for a person, you know, two to three times per week is really the max. And so we don't want people posting three times a day. And so, you know, there are different, there are definitely different rules of engagement for each platform. For a professional, when we, when it comes time to choose like which platforms we're going to really invest the most time and energy into, it really comes back to what their goals are for social media. So if you're, you know, a professional who's just working hard every day, you're trying to establish that professional credibility online, say you have three decades of really hard work behind you and a really solid in-person professional reputation. But when somebody looks you up online, you have almost no digital footprint. For you, I would say LinkedIn is a really great place for you to be. You can pretty easily, you know, bring that in-person reputation and translate it into an online presence. If you're somebody that already kind of has a presence and you're doing a lot of speaking, you're talking on panels, maybe you want to be cultivated or recruited as like an MC or a speaker, I would also say that adding Instagram into your strategy would also make sense. That's a very visual driven page. If you're trying to build a brand, like a lifestyle brand, or you, like I said, as a speaker or a philanthropist, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to have visuals that are beautiful, that, that are beautifully edited, kind of readily available to you. It's not like a heavy lift. Then integrating Instagram would also be a smart strategy. But for almost everybody, I would say LinkedIn is like the baseline. Every professional should have at a minimum a polished LinkedIn profile and should consider how to build a LinkedIn presence. And then all the other platforms from a professional point of view um, have their benefits, but I would say LinkedIn is definitely the, the top place. And the other thing we think about a lot is just capacity to manage the platforms. It takes a lot of work. I mean, and that's, that's truly why we exist. Um, and so if you're doing this on your own, you need to think realistically about how many platforms can I manage? How much time per week can I commit to it? And then just start with one and see how that goes. And then you can build from there. Maybe that last point, I know that there are several platforms that can post to, you know, at all linked together. Mm -hmm. Is that something you would recommend or no, be more specific and targeted in terms of the, the platform you're choosing? Yeah, I think, yeah, Instagram and Facebook talk to each other and that's fine. You know, the one thing is that the tags, the, like the tags don't talk to each other. So if I'm tagging Chris, you know, and it's like at Chris Meek is on your Instagram, but then on Facebook, it's like at Chris under, underscore Meek, they're not, it's not going to connect. It's not going to talk to each other. And that's just going to mean that your Facebook has a dead tag, which like from a visual point of view, like it just like, it doesn't look great. It's not terrible, but it, it looks unfinished. You know, it looks like you didn't get the tag right, you know, which kind of stinks. So I would say like, yes, Pushing things from your Instagram to your Facebook is fine, but then just go into your Facebook and just correct, you know, make sure your tags are correct. Um, that would be the easiest. I mean, LinkedIn will also pu push to Twitter, but that is basically just tweeting the LinkedIn post, not actually creating a unique tweet. That is also fine. Um, and it can almost serve as like a place of record on your Twitter for all the things that you're, you know, doing over on your LinkedIn. You're going to have to send me a bill for today. 
(laughs) (laughs) There's so many, there's so many tips and tricks. And, you know, I think it's just, yeah, it's, and the, the other thing is like, it's ever changing, you know, like the algorithms are always changing, right? This summer we had the explosion of threads, you know, and then there were a ton of dialogue and conversation around, do we abandon X and everybody go to threads? And, you know, so I think like there, everything is always changing. Um, And so I just encourage people like to just, you know, recognize that like you can have expertise, but you're not always going to be an expert, you know, do a little bit of work to read and keep up with the trends and just roll with it. You know, like social media is not a place or reason for us to get frustrated or down with ourselves. Like we do the best we can. It's important to put intention behind it for sure. But, you know, of all the things that can frustrate us and tick us off, like social media should not be one of them. Fair point. How important are content creation and curation and brand building? I love to think about what we do when we when we get to work with individuals, exactly what you just said, content cur- uh, curation. And it's really important. I mean, and it's also the point of what we're doing. Like you are showing up online to let your people, the audiences know what you're up to and what you're doing and what your professional or your personal credibility is. And so the almost like most low-hanging fruit or easiest way to do that is to think about what am I doing day over day? What do I have going on this week? What activities am I participating in? And to curate those activities into social media content. We are all, I mean, everybody's out there doing the work. You know, we're putting in the hard work. Um, And so instead of just trying to create content, what we really think about is curating the work that we're already doing and just writing a couple of sentences, key reflections, takeaways from the event you attended, you know, and posting it online. I also think there are things going on in your industry that you can curate as well. Like if a if a report just came out and maybe you contributed to it, or maybe you didn't contribute to it, but it's important to your industry and you care about it. Like that's just taking a report, reading it, you know, and then adding your own reflections on it through a LinkedIn post. So We find, I actually find curating is the most effective kind of content for professionals. And it's also the easiest because we're just, we're doing the work. And so we're not trying to come up with creative masterpieces in terms of creating content. Um, And instead, we're just taking the hard work that we're already doing and we're packaging it and we're talking about it online. Last question before the break. What are the most common mistakes businesses make on social media and how can they avoid them? I think not using your people is very common mistake. I There's a report that just came out that said messages put out by individuals versus companies are 84% more effective at reaching their audiences. And so you should really be thinking about how can you use your people and their profiles, their platforms to amplify your messages. And when you don't do that, you're really missing out on more, you know, higher reach, higher engagement, more authentic credibility, points of connection, you know, all of those, all those really good things that make for really successful social media posts. We've been talking to personal and professional branding pro Madeline Federley, and we'll be right back after a short break. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And my guest today is Madeline Federley. CEO of Be The Brand, a boutique personal branding firm for the digital age. Madeline, we were talking about personal and professional brands before the break. How is someone's personal brand different from their professional brand? I don't really know that it is, honestly. I mean, I think if you are a working professional, your personhood is part of that and kind of vice versa. So I think that we we define a professional a personal brand as a unique set of characteristics that are put together with intention and reinforced over and over again. And a smart personal brand is one that you are in control of. And the way we show up online is a great way to be in control of our personal brand. So I actually think that there, I mean, there are things that you can dial up and dial down. Like say you have a very personal Instagram account and, you know, you talk, it's it's very personal, right? It's family pictures, it's vacation pictures, it's activities with kiddos, you know, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. And maybe none of that shows up on your professional LinkedIn. But I would say that even within that, there are likely still things that are crossing over and things that are about your personhood and your personal life that are showing up in your professional reputation and vice versa. So the other thing is that like, if we try to really like separate, like, and like write down, here's my personal brand, draw a line. Here's my professional brand. Like it's too much work, you know, like we're already busy, we're working, you know? And so instead we just build strategy around who we are as people and the reality is, is that that's going to be, you know, X percent of being a person and X percent of being a professional. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't really like to differentiate because I just don't think that that's like a real thing. I, I love that. And I think maybe COVID sort of morphed that together. Just working from home, you kind of became one, one entity, if you will. Right. It's like, there's a big conversation going on right now about like balance, you know, like work-life balance and a lot of 
you know, very smart people who are a lot smarter than me are, you know, saying like, basically like, you know, we don't believe in work-life balance, you know, and that doesn't mean there is no balance, but it does mean that it's very challenging and there's almost no point in trying to like keep this over here in this lane and this over here in this lane, but rather if you kind of like embrace both sides of things and then work within that framework to get the help that you need to set the schedules that you need, et cetera, it just, you end up kind of um, just one, having a lot more success and two, having a lot more peace of mind. And peace of mind is a more significant piece there, I think. Totally. Many people dream of becoming influencers. How realistic is that? And how difficult is it to actually achieve the goal? It's so difficult. I mean, people, you know, obviously depending on the platform, but each each platform has its own um has its own, I guess, like formula, so to speak, in terms of like what makes an influencer. And there are all kinds of systems of support, whether internally from that platform or external resources, et cetera, that come in to help make somebody an influencer. Um, so, and then in addition to that, even if somebody does it on their own or is like bootstrapping it, I I mean, it, it's, I would say it's like a full-time job, you know, or at least 20 hours a week. I know, I know professionals that on their own, you know, they're trying to get to X number of followers and they are committed to like being on LinkedIn only for like two to three hours per day just to get to X number of followers. So, and that just means it just requires a lot of work. You have to write thoughtful content. You also have to spend a lot of time engaging. So that's a huge piece of the puzzle that we don't really talk about as much. Like, you know, you have to interact with other people and find your kind of corner of the social media platform and grow a lot of visibility over there. Um, you know, responding to direct messages. There's just, there's a whole host of activity that has to go on in order to really build the, the amount of visibility that you need to be an influencer. So it's a full-time job on top of your job. It's a full, yeah, it's totally, I would say like at least a part-time job if you're doing it on your own. But then again, also like there are all kinds of external, you know, resources and firms and companies and all this kind of stuff that also come in to help. So even in addition to time, like it requires additional resources as well. What role does or should influencer marketing play in social media branding? Well, if you look at the budgets of so many of the, the Fortune 500 companies now, you'll see that a, the most significant or one of the most significant line items in their marketing budgets is influencers. So the power of social media to influence people to buy product or buy service or tune into certain things is tremendous. And that goes back to like, what is the mistake that companies are making? Again, if they're not using real people to put out their messages, you're really missing the mark. And so, you know, I think that in terms of the role that influencers play, it's it's huge. And we definitely saw that like escalate and increase a lot during the pandemic, but we haven't really seen it go, go back down. Like, I think that's kind of the rules of the business now in terms of what helps move the needle in terms of sales, in terms of credibility, in terms of visibility, leveraging influence um, is, is just a critical part of it. So knowing that most of us aren't likely to become influencers, 
Should we ever hire an influencer to promote our personal or professional brands? And if there are times when we should, how should we go about doing it so it really, really works for us? I definitely think this would make the most sense if you have like a product, if you're a company and you have a product, you know, it's the same idea as like endorsements. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think like is, I think obviously it would need to just be part of your integrated marketing strategy that you put together with your team and deploy. And I think making sure that you're working with an influencer that is brand aligned, that actually cares about your product, maybe they actually use it on their own um, so that they can speak with authenticity about your product is is really probably the most important thing because again, it's people. And so you want people to be promoting other people or other product with authenticity. Um, and so I would say like, you know, really doing the work and the research to make sure that there is brand alignment. Um, and, you know, obviously with all integrated marketing, like it's, you you want it to be kind of earmarked around an important announcement or an event, like if you're launching a new product line or if you have an anniversary, you know, or we're heading into the holiday season, you know, something like that. So I think looking at your kind of calendar of activities, making sure you have an influencer who's brand aligned, um, you know, and then sometimes it won't work out, unfortunately, you know, and you maybe won't get the results that you want, but that's that's how all marketing is. You know, some sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so I think just, again, you know, leaving space for that possibility as well. You touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, and maybe we can go a little bit more in depth on it. When it comes to a personal brand, what steps should I take to define my brand online? We have a tool that we call the Personal Message House, which has three main components. It has a brand purpose at the top, which is your online impression or, you know, mission statement almost. We want this to be, and we really, we walk through people to really write this out, you know, write out what is that impression that you want your online presence to leave. So mine is, you know, Madeline is founder CEO of Be The Brand. She's an expert in digital thought leadership, and she cares about uh, women in leadership. So when you go to my page and you scroll, those are the key messages that are coming through. That's the impression I want you to walk away from when you visit my page. Be the brand, digital branding, women, women in leadership. Um, so that's really the first step is getting crystal clear on that impression, that mission statement. The second step is really identifying your brand pillars. These are the vehicles through which you communicate that impression. Um, and so for me, it would be things like digital leadership or um, digital branding. It would be women in leadership. It would be talking about founder CEO. And then a big bucket, of course, is talking about be the brand and the work that we do. So those are like my buckets. And then underneath is uh, brand tone. So this is where we talk about like, how are we showing up or identifying online? So do I want to talk about being a woman business owner or do I just want to say I'm a business owner? You know, you kind of work through some of those things on the front end. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we encourage people to really map out their personal message houses to serve as that roadmap so that again, you know, when we're working with professionals who have been working for three decades, you know, et cetera, there's a lot there, right? And so we almost have to do like a great audit on their professional life to really hone in and decide these are the main themes um, and, and um, that we want to be showing up on their LinkedIn because there is not space to do everything. And so we have to get really crystal clear on, um, 
what is the most important thing and what's going to drive them to the next step, to the next chapter. And maybe part two of this, when and why is it best to invest in a personal consultant like you to get the job done right? I think if you, one, don't have the capacity, that's the the whole origin story for Be The Brand was I was working at Vital Voices with amazing women leaders and really impressed with them and the work that they were doing and was feeling so inspired and then would go home and want to tell my mom or my sister or somebody about them, look them up online and they had no digital presence. And it's for the reasons that we know, you know, these are the people out there doing the work, running their teams, running their families, running their households. They just don't have the time or the capacity to invest in a digital presence. And so the first question is like, um, one, are you bought into the importance of digital? Like, do you understand its importance and how it can help you get to where you want to go? Two, do you have the capacity? And if not, that would be a point of inflection. And then three, you know, a lot of people that we work with, they have a lot of imposter syndrome. So maybe they have the capacity, but they aren't good writers. They don't like writing. They just generally don't like social media, which I think is very normal in the professional world. And we're kind of over it. You know, we just, we don't like it anymore. I get it, you know, but, and so we really step in to help people just like not have to worry about it and think about it yet ensure that they have a great robust presence. So those would be my kind of questions, you know, like, do you, like, are you bought into the importance of it? Um, Do you, what is your capacity and timeline and what is your comfort level or confidence in being able to execute this on your own? And I think if all three of those things, or even, even just one of those things could be missing, um, but certainly if all three of those things, then it, it, it would be well worth considering bringing in a thought partner to help you execute. You mentioned earlier about essentially combining your personal and professional brand into one because it just sort of defines and shapes who and, and what you are uh, as a person, as an individual. Is there a place for storytelling in building a, a compelling personal or professional brand? Yeah, 100%. LinkedIn, especially on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is really about professional narratives. They really want like the company or the algorithm really wants personal narratives, professional narratives. They want things in first person. They want key reflections, all those types of things. And brand storytelling is a huge part of what makes you successful on LinkedIn. So I would, I would say, yes, like there is a lot of space for storytelling and we see really beautifully, beautifully done storytelling on the platform. Um, You have to stay obviously within the character count and all that kind of stuff. But if you're going to do longer form storytelling, you can always leverage like a LinkedIn article or a newsletter that they, it's part of the integration of, of um, LinkedIn and, you know, use that for longer form things. But yes, you should never shy away from storytelling um, on, on social media. And what role should my personal brand play in establishing a strong professional brand? An example there is by day, I'm a financial services guy. By night, I've been called a social entrepreneur. You know, there are a handful of issues that mean things to me, like veterans and first responders, uh, human trafficking, mental health. How do those mesh or shouldn't they at all? What I would encourage some uh, somebody like this to do is to write down on a piece of paper, you know, one, identify what your goal is for your link. Let's just use LinkedIn. Identify your goal for LinkedIn. Okay. What are you trying to get out of it? Are you looking for a career pivot? 
Are you looking for corporate boards? Are you looking for nonprofit boards? Are you wanting more speaking roles? Is it business development for your business? So identify two to three of your biggest goals on LinkedIn. Then I would write down on a piece of paper all the things about your personal brand. So the social entrepreneurship, the organizations that you volunteer your time with, the causes that you care about, the the hats that you wear, you know, parenthood, et cetera, little league coach, you know, et cetera. Um, and then I would and then I would map them. I would say, okay, if my goal is business development for my podcast, does me talking about a little league coach being a little league coach help me get there? Right. It might. Maybe you have a great story that connects, you know? And so, but I would, I would, I would try to visualize it, you know, like write it down on a, spend 30 minutes, write it down on a piece of paper and then see how it ties up to what you're actually trying to do on your LinkedIn, like have a strategy behind where it's headed and what you're trying to get out of it. And that will help you kind of eliminate the things that you don't need to bring onto um, the LinkedIn, not because they're bad, but just because they're not going to help you get to where you want to go. You're going to charge me double time today, I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and just stick, sticking with LinkedIn here, it seems like a lot of people who use LinkedIn just collect contact after contact after contact, and it ends there. What's the best way to be successful on LinkedIn? Our our best practice is posting two to three times per week and engaging on the platform for about five times a day. So, and when you post to post across a variety of your brand buckets, not just to post about one thing, and to do, you know, short yet interesting or meaningful language. So it should be, you know, three to four sentences, um, making sure you're using compelling visuals, that the photos look good, you know, just doing the work to make sure it looks polished, and then to engage on the platform, interacting with other people as well. Um, in terms of like messages in your inbox, you know, there, there, there is obviously always going to be a lot of business development going on in your inbox. And we get asked a lot, like, how do I know who I should connect with and what's, you know, you know, how do I say no to somebody, you know, and that kind of stuff. We always say that if you have like 10 or more points of mutual connection, even if you don't know the person, it's probably fine to connect with them. Um, but you certainly don't have to connect with people you don't know on LinkedIn. You can, a lot of people truly use it as a professional Rolodex, and that's great. Um, other people are happy to just accept more, you know, to open the gates wider because they really want that wide follower count and they don't mind the messages in their inbox, you know. But I think, again, it just goes back to how are you going to use it and what are you getting out of it? I'm laughing because I'm thinking back when I first started using Facebook. And somehow I became friends with Giselle. Nice. And my wife saw that. She's like, really? You're friends with Giselle? And I'm like, she reached out to me. What can I say? Yeah. She wanted to be my friend. Exactly. Exactly. Um, It it seems like our professional experience is always changing, even if it's simply staying in the same job for just another year. How do we maintain consistency and keep things current across the various platforms? So this is a big part of our philosophy. The reality is, is we we are people, so we change and evolve over time. And we should embrace that. Um, and at the same time, we can put a little bit of intention around this evolution. So what I like to think about is, you know, say you spent 10 years working, you know, 10 years early on in your career, and you kind of had a portfolio of subject matter expertise. You know, maybe you did tax policy, 
plus healthcare policy, plus education policy, because you were, you know, more on the junior staff. And so you just did more. You had your hands in more things. Now, as you're advancing in your career and you're evolving and changing, you want to really kind of think about where am I actually headed and how am I going to leverage LinkedIn to help position me in that direction? So if I am no longer interested in working or being recruited for jobs for tax policy, then I'm just going to dial that down and I'm not going to talk about it or post about it. And I'm going to dial up the other area of expertise that I'm interested in. Um, I also think at the end of the day, when somebody goes to your page, the point is, is that you want to be positioned as things that are broader than just your current job. So you want people to understand like you are a trusted advisor, a seasoned executive, a subject matter expert, somebody who cares about the community. These are all things larger than your current portfolio. And you want to make sure that that's coming through because since we do change and evolve and we change careers and we move locations and all these things, your LinkedIn should really be an anchor spot where somebody can know kind of no matter who you are, what team you're on, what table you're at, what room you're in, this is the type of professional that they're going to be working with. Somebody who is trusted, somebody who cares about the community, et cetera. So those types of impressions in the brand that you have really should transcend that subject matter expertise. And maybe as a follow-up to that, why is authenticity important when it comes to our social media selves? It's it's the best place for a point of connection. I mean, and we we see that so often when somebody, when a client or somebody we're works working with posts, maybe a post that's like a little more personal or there's photos, you know, we hear from them that it's that post that had an echo chamber around it. And when they went into the board meeting with their CEOs or when they went to this event and saw other industry leaders, it was that post that people referenced and say, oh, I didn't realize that you coached Little League. I do too. You know, I loved seeing that post or, you know, I also love XYZ um, TV. You know, we we had clients who posted about Ted Lasso, right? Because that was such a beloved show and wonderful lessons on leadership. And there was just a lot of great stuff you could say on LinkedIn. So it's just a point of mutual connection. Authenticity lets you be a person and lets you connect with others and that is the power of the echo chamber of LinkedIn. It's going to exist on the platform, but it's also going to go with you when you go into that meeting or when you go to that lunch, et cetera. Well, now I really have to be thoughtful in terms of what I post on LinkedIn. So I'll be careful. <laughs> so thank you for that. You speak at conferences on podcasts like this one and other settings. How can we effectively communicate our personal and professional brands through events and opportunities like that? Just getting super clear on what you're trying to say, you know, I think like it's part of it's it's part of the work that we have to do as professionals. You know, I think we show up in so many different ways throughout the all the points in our life. And I think it's important to do the work, to carve out a little bit of time to write out like that brand statement, to write out you know, the personal elevator pitch, et cetera, and then just to reinforce it. It's like I said at the beginning, personal brand is a unique set of characteristics that you just reinforce over and over again, you know? And so I think that there are all kinds of low-hanging fruit and things that we can do as professionals and as people to solidify that personal brand with just a little bit of thinking and just a little bit of intention behind it. We have just a short time left. 
How can people reach you and connect with you if they'd like to have you speak to the group or provide individual or group consulting services for them? That's great. Yeah, we we do a lot. I do a lot of speaking workshops. We work with senior leadership teams. So like I said at the beginning, if if you're a business and you want to wrap your arms around social or have more of a strategy about how to either empower your individuals to be on social or set a roadmap for how the company should be showing up on LinkedIn. We do all kinds of engagements like that. And we also work one-on-one with individuals um, to really bring that thought leadership into the online space. So we ha- our website's just be the brand collective.com. We're also on social media, um, Instagram and LinkedIn, be the brand collective. Um, and those are the best ways to, to get in touch with us. Madeline Fairley, CEO of Be The Brand. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was very helpful, Thank you, very Chris. insightful. No, I learned a lot. And uh, hopefully my junior and college daughter did as well. <laughs> Good. Yes, yes. Yeah. And for all the young people listening, like, you know, even if you're just starting out, like at a minimum, you should definitely have a um, a LinkedIn profile, you know, and make sure that it's up to date. It's almost like the idea of being retail ready, right? When a product goes to shelf, we make sure it's retail ready. Like the packaging looks nice. Every, you know, it's, everything's FDA approved or whatever. When you enter the workforce, make sure you are, you know, internet ready, basically. Because people 100% are Googling you before you go into an interview. And your LinkedIn profile will be the first thing that comes up. And that is that is actually really good news because you can totally control what your LinkedIn profile looks like. And so do the work to make sure that it represents you well. Um, and in that sense, you know, you're almost retail ready. So it was really, yeah, it was really great to be with you, Chris. Oh, thanks for your time, Madeline. I'm Chris Meek, right of time. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.